I'd like to welcome you to another edition of The Supernatural Through His Word. We're now on episode 7. We're discussing Genesis 10 and the descendants of Noah and how Noah's family is dispersed throughout the nations. I'd like to invite you back if this is the first time listening or this is your, like I said, you're returning back to Supernatural Through His Word. This is where we go through the Bible verse by verse. I am your host, Reverend Michael Norton. I am a pastor. I am a uh, Bible geek. I am very passionate about Hebrew translations. I'm very passionate about Old Testament. And I'm also a spiritual warfare expert who's worked with some very dark cases for the past 10 years. And I also work with ritual abuse survivors. This show came about because I was working with ritual abuse survivors who kind of had a very bad perspective on the Bible because it was used for mind control. This mind control came from both um, dark occult ritual abuse and from Christian ritual abuse where people use it for mind control or behavior modification or control for ritual practices. So when I started working with the Bible, I noticed the Bible triggered a lot of people who had dissociative identity disorder and the Bible was used against them. They were taught God was a mean person. The mission of this podcast is to show that God's a loving God and to go through the Bible verse by verse and undo some of the programming and just present what's really there in the Bible and also present it from somebody that's passionate about the Bible and loves God's word, loves God, and knows God's a loving God. And I just want to present this to you in this ways that will excite you. And also, you know, it's be free at listening to what this information is. Like I said, I work with survivors of ritual abuse, and I do know some of this information will trigger you, but I want you just to put those parts at rest when they are triggered and to listen to what the actual truth was and what God's word was intent to say. And it was not intended to be for mind control. If you're not from ritual abuse or you're not dealing with any inner healing, I invite you here too, because like I said, I'm a, I'm a Bible geek. I, I love truth. I love the truth in the word. I just love unpacking the word. So this is going to be for all audiences, whether you're, you're doing some inner healing or whether you're like, well, there's some cool stuff you're presenting here, Mike. I tend to go look at the stuff that PhD people look at, peer-presented papers, um, you know, Masoretic Hebrew translations, they get into Septuagint, and that's where I get my information from. So it's it's kind of information I think is kind of cool because it wasn't presented at the, at the pulpit when I first heard it preached, or you heard it from a Bible study because people didn't have the information on hand, went through verse by verse. So I welcome you, pull up a chair, relax, have a good time, and let's dig into this. For those of you tuning in, I also do PowerPoints on YouTube that are uh, simulcast with this podcast. So if you're a visual person, you want to see the, the, the PowerPoints I'm going through or seeing the verses, you're welcome to see them. I host the podcast over on m16ministries.blogspot.com. Look for The Supernatural Through His Word, Episode 7, Genesis 10. I also post show notes there and research I do with this to make it more interesting. So fire up those PowerPoints, Mac. Here we are, Genesis 10, The Supernatural Through His Word. Let's do a brief introduction here to Genesis 10. Genesis 10 is basically a genealogy of how Noah's 
sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, dispersed and you know went forth and and multiplied into the land after Noah's ark. But there's some interesting stuff here that it Genesis 10 is actually a buildup. You see Genesis story after story is a buildup for something bigger going on, and, and Genesis 10 is no exception. Genesis 10 is a genealogy of the sons of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and the birthing of post-flood nations. I want you to go back to something important here. Back in Genesis 8.21, where God said mankind is evil by nature. This theme is going to flow through into Genesis 10. And if we look at um, back and remind you that that verse of uh, Genesis 8.21, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. So this is an underlying theme to understand what's happening in Genesis 10. Why do we say that? Because Genesis 10 could be the history set up for the dividing of nations at the Tower of Babel, which we're going to see here next in Genesis 11. We're not there yet. So with the way this genealogy is presented, we want to keep in the back of our mind, was this division premeditated by God for Genesis 11? In other words, the dispersion we're going to see of Noah's sons was a setup by God that was going to be come to its finality in the Genesis 11 where God you know, separates the nations. We're going to see this in Genesis 11. I'm getting ahead of myself. But I want you to keep that idea back in my mind. From Dr. Michael Heiser's book, Angels, page 45, I want to give this quote. We learn from Genesis 11, 1 through 9, that humanity was divided up into the nations at the Tower of Babel event. Yahweh's division of humanity into the nations listed in Genesis 10, which descended from Noah's sons after the flood, was a punitive act. Again, I'm jumping ahead of the gun here, but I want to build this big setup for when we do Genesis 11 next. That we're looking at the dispersion of nations right now. There's a God already knows history. God knows what's going to happen. Man's going to fall again, right? Man's going to, there's going to be another fall we're going to see. A big one here in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel. So God's setting this up. He knows it. He knows what's going to happen. He's God. God is God. It's not a surprise what, what Nimrod's going to do with the Tower of Babel. So let's dive into the scripture here. Verse 1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Actually, Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. So what we're looking at here, we have the three sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And these are the sons of lineage that were born to these three, three sons of Noah. Verse 2. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, we've heard that name before, Medai, Yavan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tirah. So looking at verse 2, we start out with the youngest son, Yapheth, and not the oldest son. So we're looking at the sons of Yapheth first, which is kind of interesting because usually go oldest to youngest. So let's, that's kind of a clue there. Something's going on in the setup. So the sons of Yapheth. The areas of the sons of Yapheth migrate to are named after them. We see Gomer. We saw Magog, which is the prophetic location of the battle in Ezekiel. That's why that rings a bell. Medai, um, these are Persian Medes, that's ancient Iran. Yavan, or Yawan, depending on what you pronounce that, Hebrew, is possibly Greece, Tubal, Meshech, 
Tubal Meshek on nations in the last days of the book of Ezekiel. So again, we're we're setting up a lot of stuff that goes beyond just Genesis, and some of the stuff's hopping into Ezekiel. So Yephes' son's name's Magog, right? Where he settles at, turns into be a prophetic location for the battle for Ezekiel. We see in Ezekiel. Uh, same thing with uh, Meshek, right? It's another book in the last days. So these are names of locations from Noah's time through Ezekiel. Very interesting. So where his sons with these names settled became the names of the places. Again, we're, we're going down through the sons of Yepheth. So the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripah, Togamah, the sons of Yavan, were Elisha, Tarshish, Ketim, and Dadanim. From these, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. So Yepheth uh, spread to the coastal lands. And they became clans and groups of nations over there. So keep track of this stuff. So we're seeing not just a genealogy with this stuff in Genesis 10, but we're seeing births of nations going on. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabat, Ramah, and Sabakta. The sons of Ramah, Siva, and Dedan. So let's unpack verse 6 here. Some interesting names again. What, what does Siba ring a bell? Ham is a middle son who saw his father's nakedness in Genesis 9. Remember, he cursed him as servants, and he cursed him uh, the Canaan later down the road. So the sons of Ham were Cush, which when Cush landed at, turned out to be modern-day Ethiopia. We have Egypt, which is Egypt. And the son Put landed in Libya, in Canaan. Ham, father of Canaan. That's that's who Noah cursed, right? It was the he cursed the the descendants of Canaan, whom he didn't know yet. After the incident with um, Ham, saw his father's nakedness, and we discovered that back in Genesis nine, which some weird things may have been going on there with the seeing his father's nakedness. So if you aren't caught up on that one, go back and listen to that too. So let's look at verse 7. The sons of Cush, Siba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, and Sebtika. Now we know the queen of Sheba. Didn't she come from Cush? Siba, remember? Sheba, that's her there. So the sons of Ramah, Sheba, was a queen of Sheba and Dedan. And we're looking at northern Africa territories right now, which is interesting. Um, without getting into social justice warring, which I don't want to do here because I think it conflicts with, with Jesus' taught in the Bible. I do want to throw out, there is a possibility here that we're looking at possibly some dark colored people emerging here. This could be it, because we know Northern Africa, we have, Ethiopia has dark colored people, and this, these offsprings, or these um, sons could have been, you know, dark colored skinned people that we know to see today in Africa. It's not from Dr. Leakey, it's not from The Missing Link, nope, didn't happen. We're, I think we're seeing it right here but we don't have the actual data on it, but it would make sense that these were dark-skinned people. But we can pontificate on much of that later because we don't have full information, but it totally makes sense this is what's happening here. Verse 8, Cush fathered Nimrod. Uh, we've heard that before. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. 
So what happened here? So Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. And we look at verse 9, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the, possibly the ancient Hebrew, hunter being he gathered clans. He conquered clans and made kingdoms. He wasn't like hunting the, the lions and stuff. But, you know, there are scenes of him in history of him carved up, you know, being a big man and took on a lion. When we're talking about hunter here, we're talking about he's gathering nations. So either he conquered them or he's gathering them and he's making kingdoms. He's the guy doing this. So he's making nations. He's a nation builder. Genesis 10, sons of Ham, continued. So verse 10, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Again, we're looking at Nimrod here. Nimrod was the beginning of kingdom, right? He was a kingdom builder. He built in Babel. And we're going to come to that in chapter 11 here. Interesting stuff. And from that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Er, and Kalah. And so what are we looking at right now? So unpacking verse 10, Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kanel in the land of Shinar. We're looking at modern-day Iraq. So the story of Babel in chapter, Genesis chapter 11 may have very well taken place in Iraq. Not may have, have it did. It did take place in Iraq. And we also see that Nimrod went into Assyria and built Nineveh. So that was one of his places too. 12. And he built Risen between Nineveh and Kela, that is the great city. Egypt, another son of Ham, fathered Ludim, Anim, Livahim, Naphtaphim, Parthium, Calcium, from whom the Philistines came, and Capthorum. That's some tongue twister things here. So what's happening here if we unpack this? If we're looking at uh, verses 12 through 14, we're looking at groups of people. We're looking at clans that evolved from the patriarch lineage of Ham. Even though he was cursed, he did quite a bit of populating of North Africa here and uh, Iraq and, and that, that area. So it's, it's kind of interesting how it's moving out. All this from the great conqueror Nimrod. Verse 15. Canaan fathered Sidon, his firstborn, Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Girgashites. So we know that from verse 15, and back looking back at Genesis 9, where Noah cursed Ham's descendants, God did not look with favor in Canaan. Canaan fathered Sidon, which is Tyre. What have we heard of the Prince of Tyre before? Remember that? We heard that in Ezekiel and Isaiah. And it's comparing the king of Tyre to the, um, Lucifer, right? So we've seen this before. Something else cursed coming out of Canaan there. In verse 16, we see some more tribes. The Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Girgashites. We are encountering a tribe that came out of the sons of Ham that looked like we're encountering more giants with the Amorites. And how did this mixture get in? We don't know. But there it is right there. We'll see the Israelites and probably all the way through the book of Samuel and Kings, we see the um, Amorites show up. And God's going to wipe them out. And they're a race of giants and they're cursed. Verse 17, the Hevites, the Archites, the Sinites. 18, the Arabidites, the Zemurites, and the Hamatites. Afterward, the clans of Canaanites dispersed. 
Verse 19, And the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and the direction of Sodom, Hamorah, Adma, and Zebium as far as Lasha. So we're getting boundaries of where Ham settled. Let's look at this. So the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon, which is Lebanon currently, in the direction of Gerar, which is south as far as Gaza, and in the direction eastward of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adama and Zedemai, as far as Lasha. So Sodom and Gomorrah was even within the boundaries of uh, the Canaanites, and we'll learn more about that but not far down the road here in Genesis. So we're kind of seeing how uh, the Canaanites are already cursed and what's in their lands. Well, we got giants coming out of them now. We have Sodom and Gomorrah, all sorts of interesting stuff coming here. Interesting. But see, some of the stuff wasn't totally unpacked like this in your, your, you know, when you first start in the pulpit. But it's kind of is what it is. This, if they divide, devote a chapter to genealogy, something important is going on here. We're seeing a buildup. We're getting foreknowledge of what's about to happen. And that's what the, the authors, the scribes of Genesis 10, are trying to reveal to us. So verse 10, these are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages and their lands, and their nations. To Shem also, the father of the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. So we're looking at Shem now. The sons of Shem are Elam, Asher, Apashad, Lud, and Aram. So let's look at this. Shem, also the father of Eber. This is interesting right here. Very important. So Eber means the Hebrews. Shem is the patriarch of the Hebrews. See what's happening here? We're seeing a division. What we saw up there with uh, with Ham was he had kind of had the Canaanites and everybody was cursed. You know, we had uh, the Canaanites, the you know, all sorts of Middle East stuff going on. We had uh, Nimrod from Babel. We had Canaanites, the Philistines coming out from him. Now Shem is the patriarch of the Hebrews. Shem is the older brother of Yafeth. Okay? So like I said, this, this thing's kind of going backwards in genealogy. So Shem was the fathered the, you know, the people, the Hebrews, Eber. The children of Eber were the son of the Hebrews. The sons of Shem, Elam, Elam shows up in the book of Esther, Asher, Assyria, Apashat, Lud, Aram. Aram is Syria in the book of Isaiah. So again, we're, we're catapulting in the future here at this stuff. Cool stuff. You don't have to memorize it now, but keep in mind when these names pop up again, they're kind of hard to look back there. Oh my gosh, that came all the way from Genesis 10. So yeah, the, the, uh, the scribes here are setting up a lot of stuff we need to know that's going to pop up again in, in future um, references. Also, too, um, there's something interesting about the uh, verse 22. And a Septuagint, it gives us more information. Why does the Septuagint give us more information? Because the Septuagint was very accurate. If you look at Qumran and the Dead Sea Scrolls, even though the Septuagint's in Greek and the Dead Sea Scrolls are in ancient Hebrew, they align. The, the Dead Sea Scrolls aren't exactly Masoretic text, but it seems like what we're finding in the Dead Sea Scrolls and what the Second Temple Jews knew and the Septuagint align. So we have one other name that comes up, and that's Canaan in the genealogy. Why is this name important? Because it's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Luke. So from the descendants of Shem was a lineage of Jesus. And then you see in Luke 3.36, the same updated lineage, which is the sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, 
Ashvad, Lud, and Aram, which appears in our ESV Bibles and the Masoretic text. And then we have the additional A Canaan. It's not Canaan, it's Canaan. And his name is mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. And we see this in our Bibles in Luke 3.36. So there isn't a discrepancy. Some people come, hey, look, it doesn't match. See, the Bible's messed up. No, it's, it does line up. Because if you remember right, the people that were writing the Gospels, their Bible at the time was Septuagint. And it was very accurate. So if you want to look up information or some stuff in Septuagint, it doesn't appear in our Bibles in the Old Testament. So it's a, it's a very accurate translation. And that's why that's there. And that's why we have it in our gospel under Luke, verse 336, that that name appears and it doesn't appear in Genesis 10 in our ESV Bible. Just, just a footnote, okay? So it does exist. It's not an inaccuracy. It's an inaccuracy later in translation is what it is. So it, was, it just doesn't appear in Genesis 10. So heads up on that one. Verse 23, the sons of Ram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Verse 24, Arpashad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. The sons of Ram are Uz, Hal, Gether, and Mash. Verse 24, Arpashad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. Verse 25, to Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Yaktan. Yaktan fathered Almadad, Shifala, Hazmareth, and Yara. Hadaram, Uzil, Dikla, Obal, Abimel, and Sheba. Verse 29 Ophir, Habla, and Yahab, as well as the sons of Yaktan. Verse 30 The territory in which they live extended from Misha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Verse 32. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies and their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So let's look at the concluding remarks on Genesis chapter 10. This was kind of a quicker one. Usually I go for like an hour. You guys get out in school early on this one, hopefully, huh? Right? So... Let's look at concluding remarks in Genesis 10. Um, regarding Nimrod, we mentioned Nimrod, who was one of the sons of Ham, who was fathered uh, the, the nation of, uh, was it Babel? And Nineveh, the cities of Babel and Nineveh, and a few other places. He was a conqueror. In the book of Antiquities uh, from Josephus, the Antiquities of Jews, book one, chapter four, Josephus, paragraph two. Now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God he was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man and of great strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it was through his means they were happy, but to believe that was their own courage which procured their happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God, but to bring them into constant dependence on his power. He also said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again, for that he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach, and that he would revenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. So we have a man that's angry at God, and the reason he built the Tower of Babel was to elevate himself. When you, these are called ziggurats, so we'll talk about that more in 
Genesis 11 when he builds a tower of Babel. But here it says one of his purposes, he was defying God. I can build a tower so high it can reach the heavens that your floods couldn't sink it. So it's, you know, we'll see about that. So it's a very powerful man taking on God. It doesn't turn out so well. Never, never turns out so well. Kind of like some stuff going on in modern day politics. And I don't want to get into that. They're challenging God with all this stuff with DNA and modifications. And God doesn't take kindly to that. We're building our Tower of Babel through science right now. We gotta be in we're gonna be in trouble with it. You'll see. Be careful with that. And I'm a scientist. I don't challenge God with science. I just understand the world we live in through science. I don't use it to challenge him and say, hey, we could do that. And that's what Nimrod did. Ah, let's return to Meredith Klein, Kingdom Prologue. We've been visiting him in and out too through this sessions. Um, on his Kingdom Prologue, page 272, uh, under the title diaspora of the nations. It reads, Genesis 10 exhibits the two-sided nature of the interim world, the field of operation of both the mutually tempering principles of common curse and common grace. We see this, right? Ham's cursed, and we see Yafath and, uh, and Shem are in grace. On the other hand, Genesis 10 reflects the common grace blessings pronounced in Genesis 9-1, ordaining that man multiply and fill the earth what records a genealogy increase of the Noahic lines and their successful penetration of the earth in all directions, as is reported in Acts 17.26. Yes, this expansion is portrayed under the aspect of the common curse, as a centrifugal expulsion toward a fractured fullness without cohesiveness because of lack of focus. The language of scattering, verses 9.19 in Genesis, and dispersing in Genesis 10.18, is used for this general overspreading of the earth. The sort of terminology used for the judgment curse on the Babylites we'll see in Genesis 11.9. Further, as presented in Genesis 10, the result of this development was not the unity of economical family, but schisms of all kinds. The term parad divide in Genesis 10.5 Extensive breakup of Noahic humanity into separate families, tongues, lands, and nations. We see this in Genesis 10:5, verses 20 and 31. Overall, the picture is that of a diaspora of mankind, a post-diluvian continuation of the exile of the Edemic community from the focal presence in the Garden of Eden, which is referencing Genesis 3:23 and 4:16. So. We're kind of, we don't have the whole story yet. We're unpacking something's going to happen here. We see that through Ham's cursed lineage that we're going to see the fall, of, uh, the, the fall of Babel. And also through his cursed lineages, we saw some of the most um, defying cities built, Nineveh and Babel, through his, office, his grandson Nimrod. So that's set up there. And we also see the, the nations being blessed. Was it through, I can't remember, was it through Shem, who Eber, who would uh, be the, the father of the Hebrews coming out through here. So there's some interesting stuff here. Very cool stuff. And we'll pick up on it next in uh, Genesis chapter 11. We look at Nimrod and the Tower of Babel, which can be some exciting stuff. I really want to get to this because there is so much supernatural going on in the next chapter. I just, I almost wanted to add chapter 11 to this one because this is going to be short. But I think chapter 11 is going to be long in itself because it is some cool stuff going on there and how God handles things. I want to just devote that chapter 11 to itself. So, my friends, until next time, again, if you want to look at the PowerPoints I have, you can go to m16ministries.blogspot.com, look up 
Supernatural Through His Word, Episode 7, Genesis 10, on uh, Noah and his descendants. And I'm also on Anchor.fm if you want to see the podcast, or Spotify has a podcast. Look for uh, Supernatural Through His Word. Again, I was your host, Reverend Michael Norton. If you have any questions, send them to me, or questions about future things in Genesis. We'll look them up and share them here. And thanks so much for sharing. And again, if you have any parts that got stuff that was kind of torn up by Nimrod, just sit with Jesus and say, hey, what's going on here? This this is the factual information. And yeah, Nimrod did challenge God. But we're going to see in the next chapter the supernatural repercussions of what happened here. Again, God's a loving God, and God had to discipline this. And it's going to be some exciting information, because I know Nimrod was probably used a lot in uh, occult stuff too. But we're going to see how God deals with it. God always comes out on top. The occult cannot challenge God at all whatsoever. And God's a loving God, how he handles these things and how he handles the sons of Noah, because he loved them all, even though some of them were in spite and shaking their fist at God or trying to challenge God and build a, a tower bigger than he could ever flood the earth. But again, love you guys. And until next time, God bless. Have a good one. Signing off. Oh, 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 oh,